0: These last few weeks, here at Bethel, we've been working our way through the four titles that are given to a promised king in the book of Isaiah from chapter 9, verse 6. We're told, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of david over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this so up to the fourth title from that verse prince of peace The word for peace in Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament, is shalom. The standard Jewish greeting, even up to even today, is shalom aleichem, which means peace be upon you. You may have heard the Arabic, salaam alaikum, which comes from the same uh, origin. Now, shalom conveys a much deeper meaning than our English word peace. It means peace, it also means safety, welfare, completeness, wholeness, prosperity, friendship, harmony. For the Jewish people, shalom was foundational, it was the essence of their hope. They looked forward to a time when God promised multiple times through their history when he would usher in an age of shalom, in which everything in creation would be restored to a state of harmony and peace and every person would love and worship the one true God. This Shalom is pictured poetically just a couple of chapters after Isaiah chapter 9. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together And the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See how this harmony between all the creatures on earth is tied to the knowledge of the Lord, which will be so complete, so full, that it will be as the waters cover the sea. This shalom peace cannot be known apart from knowing the Lord. As the old bumper sticker put it, no God, no peace. No God, no peace. Then in verse 10 of that passage, In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This root of Jesse, this term is a symbolic term for the promised Messiah, or Christ. Jesse was the father of David. Israel's first great king. And David was promised that one day one of his descendants would establish an eternal, peaceful kingdom. When Israel was devastated by its enemies, conquered by the big superpowers of Assyria and Babylon, and the kings and its leaders were taken into exile, it was as if a big tree had been cut down, down to the ground with only the roots Remaining hidden from sight. At the back of this building, there's a large gum tree. Some of you may have seen it and wondered if it's going to drop a branch on you or not. At its base is a large old stump, left from when sometime long ago, maybe when this building was first being built, the tree was cut down to the ground. But here's the thing with gum trees. Even if you cut them to the ground, there's still life in the roots. It's only a matter of time before the new shoots start to appear from the stump. The great tree that stands there today was once cut off and those who had cut it off thought they'd removed it for good, but a tiny shoot grew out from its root and has grown back and it's now a great tree again. The tree is the picture of Israel's history. All their greatness cut down and brought, it seemed, to nothing except that there wasn't nothing. There remained a promise from God. A promise that one day another king would come. He would restore their hope and bring about this shalom peace, not just for Israel but for the whole world. Do you hear this kind of language echoed in the words of the angels to the shepherds in the reading from Luke 2? They spoke of a saviour being born in the city of David, Bethlehem. Both Jesus' mother Mary and his adoptive father Joseph were descendants of King David. So the census wasn't just a random coincidence. It was perfectly timed by God to coincide with the due date of Jesus' birth so that he would be born in the hometown of David and known to be literally in the line of David. And when this angel was joined by a great multitude of angels, they sang of Peace on Earth among those with whom he is pleased. There's no question that they're saying that this child, Jesus, is this root of Jesse, this Prince of Peace who was promised, who will bring this shalom for which the world has been desperately waiting. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And I want to mention three aspects to this shalom peace that he brings. The first two are in the present, and the third is yet to come. The first is peace with God. The second is peace within. And the third is peace on earth. So firstly, peace with God. If we're honest, this is actually the hardest one us to accept. It might sound strange, but the idea of peace with God is one aspect of the Christian faith that many people find more offensive than any other. It's because to say that Jesus brings peace with God carries with it an assumption, an assumption that by default we are not at peace with God. There's an estrangement, an enmity, a hostility between us and God. Isaiah puts it this way, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. That's not an easy thing to hear, is it? None of us like being told that we're wrong, or that there's something wrong with us. We'd rather think that we're not that bad, especially not bad enough for God to be displeased with us. We want to think that we have within us enough innate goodness to pass the test in regards to God, whatever we think that is. However, God's assessment of us is quite different. At the heart of this world's lack of peace lies this fundamental problem. That the human race has made itself an enemy of God by presuming that we can live our lives and run this world without Him. So peace must start with a reconciliation, an ending of hostility, a ceasefire, a restoration of relationship. Our sin needs to be dealt with. We can't do it ourselves. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. And that's why the Christmas story is such good news. In it we see God taking the initiative. Even though we are the guilty party, he has acted to end the hostility. Every other religion in the world is based on human efforts to try and climb our way up to God, to earn favour or gain enlightenment or to achieve a level of goodness or spirituality. Only the Christian Gospel tells us the good news that God has come down to us. We have not found God, God has found us when we've been running and hiding from him. He's reached out to us with the offer of peace even when our hostility to God was shown so clearly that 33 years after the birth of Jesus, he was taken and nailed to a cross. God in the flesh, who had come to bring peace, was violently, brutally murdered by his creatures. But behind this evil action of human beings lay the plan of God the Father, He used the greatest crime in human history, the murder of his son, to accomplish the greatest act of love. Because Jesus hung there in our place, dying the death we deserve for our sin. In that moment, the face of God the Father was hidden from him and he knew all of the darkness and the shame of an entire human race that first turns our face from God. So, he did this so that simply by trusting in him, what the Bible calls faith, we may be reconciled to him, what the Bible calls justified. So, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, Jesus brings us peace within. The Bible speaks of a peace that passes understanding, that guards our hearts and minds. This is a peace that flows out of knowing the the shalom peace that we have with God. Here's how Jesus put it. Peace I leave with you, peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is a peace that eases a troubled heart and which removes fear. Now there's a sense of beautiful irony in these words of Jesus because he said these words only hours before he himself was betrayed and abandoned and arrested, falsely tried, mocked, beaten and crucified all things that would bring about a troubled heart and a fearful heart if you knew you were about to face them. The cross of Jesus was not only about Jesus facing the wrath of God that we deserve, it was also about him experiencing in himself what all human beings know to some degree by living in a world of sin and injustice and suffering. Psalm 88 expresses something of the reality of human grief and pain and loneliness that all too often characterises life. Let me read it to you. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pits, I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, but they are cut off from your hands. You have put me in the depths of the pits, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your ways. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness, or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O oh Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, O oh Lord, do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth, up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath is swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. If you're waiting for a positive ending, there isn't one. That's it. That's the psalm. That's how it finishes. Many of the psalms end in a positive note, but this one reflects what is too often the human experience. It ends in darkness without any perceivable view of hope. This is the kind of experience that Jesus knew when he went to the cross. So, what could allow Jesus, in the face of such darkness, to not only have such a shalom peace, but to be able to say shalom alakim? to his disciples, to give that peace to his disciples? Well, it was because he knew that he was not only right with God, but that his relationship with God is one of a son and a father. It's not only because he is the eternal son and has always known the loving embrace of the father, but also because having become a human being, one of us, He lived out this perfect, joyful, loving, shalom giving relationship with the Father that we are all created for. He lived the life we should have known if it were not for our sin. So, in his death and resurrection, Jesus not only took away our sin and made peace between us and God, but he gave us his peace not just a right standing before God in a legal sense, but a welcome into the family, an adoption as a child of God. The security that that brings, knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, that's what gives the heart a peace that passes all understanding. And thirdly, Jesus brings peace on earth. This is what the angels announced to the shepherds peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Can you see how this peace, this global peace, this peace that we saw in Isaiah, where all creatures are living in harmony, will only be brought about when the work of establishing the first two kinds of peace is complete? There can't be peace on earth until human beings are reconciled to God and until their hearts are changed to be like the heart of Jesus. This is what God the Father is on about in the world today, gathering for himself a people for whom his goal is to bring them to a place where they perfectly reflect his Son, to be like Jesus, or as the Bible puts it, Mature in Christ. That's why Christians are so often on about evangelism, or as some call it, proselytising. Telling people about Jesus, calling people to believe in him. It's because we know what a glorious future God has for us and we want as many people as possible to be with us in that future. One of the most frequent promises that Jesus made was that he will return. This time not to die for the sins of the world, but to establish this shalom peace on earth. To deal with all evil and injustice. To deal with decay and death, pain and suffering. When he comes, he'll put everything back into its rightful place. And we will see and know that he is the rightful ruler of this world and of our lives. At that time there will be peace and joy without measure because we'll not only know God, we will see him face to face. Now there's of necessity a solemnness about this promise. His called for us to come and be part of his kingdom of peace is a serious one. It can't be taken lightly. If we will not receive the peace with God that he holds out to us in the present, we shouldn't think that we would want to enjoy it in the future. Every breath we take today is an opportunity for us to turn to him, confess that he is Lord and King and to receive his free gift of life and forgiveness and to step into a hope-filled life. In the video, we saw a gift pass from person to person, remaining unopened and unappreciated. At this time of year, people everywhere are saying, Merry Christmas to one another, wherever they go. Maybe you're one of those people. But without really considering what Christmas is really all about and maybe not willing to actually open the gift that the Father has given us, the gift of his own Son who brings true peace. So will you open the gift this Christmas? If you'd like to explore more about who Jesus is, not not just the child in the manger but the man who lived and who died and who rose again for you, Make a point of talking to someone. Talk to a Christian. Talk to the person who invited you here this morning. Talk to someone who has a name tag on, because that means they're from Bethel Church. Have a read of the booklet, the gift that you received when you came in. If you didn't get that booklet, make sure you get one before you go. We'll have them out the back during lunch. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab any of the black Bibles from the pews and take it. Um, for your own. But I urge you, God has given you a wonderful gift in Jesus Christ. Uh, open that gift by faith and receive His gift of love for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the generous, loving, faithful God who hasn't left us in darkness but has sent your Son, the light of the world, to give us truth and peace and life and hope. We pray, Father, that all of us here in this building this morning will have hearts that are open to receive that gift and to rejoice in your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now we're going to have a a final song uh, called Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a word that means God with us. And there's going to be a few people leading us in that.